Pop Culture Affidavit Episode 18 Hey Kids Comics. Aquaman. Hello and welcome to Episode 18 of Pop Culture Affidavit, a podcast covering everything random in the world of popular culture. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. And this time around, I'm going to take the time to talk about a great book I've been reading. And uh, I just happen to have the book's author, or editor, or whatever the title of the book says, with me to talk about it. Uh, You heard a little bit of him on the last episode, about a week ago, when I played my highlights of the Baltimore Comic Con. And after the two of us both recovered from our Comic Con experience, uh, we got in touch with one another, set this up. He is the keeper of the Aquaman Shrine. He is the water half of the Fire and Water podcast, (laughs) where you can find one of my favorite podcasts, Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. He is also uh, the writer and co-creator of Ace Kilroy, a wonderful digital comic, which I have one volume of in print, and it is signed. And he is also the editor of the book that I mentioned a few months ago, <laughs> Hey Kids Comics, and ladies and gentlemen, Rob Kelly. <laughs> it feels so silly with all those credits. He's <laughs> also this, he's also that. <laughs> How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, Tom. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. I guess I'll, I'll introduce uh, the book and, 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 and uh, let the, the listeners know, um, you know what it's about and why, uh, and, and we'll, we'll get into kind of your story behind the book and everything. Uh, The book is called Hey Kids Comics. It is a collection of essays from fans and professionals wherein they share their own personal comics origin stories, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, Yeah. yeah, It seems like how they first discovered comic books as young kids or even as young adults uh, when they realized they first became collectors and fans instead of just uh, randomly picking comics up off off the spinner racks or out of the comic store every once in a while. And normally... Um, I would actually go, when I have a guest on, I kind of go to that tried and true podcasting trope of what's your origin story about, say, comics, but yours is actually in the book. <laughs> uh, so, and I want people to go and buy the book, so we're not yeah, going to give away the farm <laughs> here. So, I, I just want to start off by getting an origin story of basically, what is the origin story of this sort of quest you've had for people's comics origin stories. In other words, like, where and when did you first get the idea that it would be awesome to go and talk to people and collect and chronicle their comic collecting history? Well, it it started out, I mean, Hey Kids Comics started out as a blog. Um, I created the, the Aquaman Shrine in 2006, and I that was so much fun, and I, I really enjoyed that that I just started kind of creating blogs for everything I was interested in you know like blogging for that for me at that point blogging was an entirely new venture and I just fell in love with it you know I was like wow this is this kind of like scratched my journalistic itch to to examine things in you know geeky detail and so I was just creating different blogs I had a blog on the Justice League and then the Aquaman Shrine was going and um, and then I had this idea for a blog of like you know to tell fun stories about like reading comics as a kid because that were you know discovering them or buying them because that was a large chunk of my childhood was you know hunting them down um you know in the age of you know before comic book stores you know you had to go and really kind of find comics not that they weren't they were ironically they were in more places than they are now but you had to hunt more because 
you never knew what you were going to get. You know, Seven mm-hmm. Eleven or a supermarket didn't always have the same books in the same time, so you really had to make an effort out of it. And so I was like, well, that'd be kind of a fun idea for a blog. And and I I, I sent the word out to people and said, look, if you have similar stories like I do, send them in. You know, I thought that would be kind of fun to make it and be different to have a, a sort of crowdsourced blog, as it were. And I started getting stories in pretty rapidly, some initially from some of the Shrine regular, Aquaman Shrine regulars and some of my friends. But then it kind of branched out, and I started getting stories from people that just re- found the blog and liked it. And I really liked the stories. You know, I really was like, boy, these are really quite in-depth, and some of them are very emotional. And, like, they were just altogether more weighty than I had ever thought they would be. Because my stories tended to be very silly. You know, they were just like, oh, I bought this comic then, and this goofy thing happened. But the stories I got from people, it seemed like if they took the time to write this story, they were going to tell something really powerful. And in a lot of ways, you know, that's that's how they read. And I, I would think I worked on the blog for, I don't know, maybe a year or two, where mm-hmm. I decided, and it, then it dawned on me, this would make a really good book. You know, this would make a really interesting you know, book to read. I, I'd want to read all these stories collected. And that was really the beginning of it. And I, I thought, you know, I didn't want to just collect stories from the blog. I thought, well, it would be fun to get some all new stories. So I, I started reaching out to um, some of my friends in the comics industry. And like uh, Paul Kupperberg, who writes for Archie now and wrote Aquaman. That's how I sort of knew him. And J.M. Demetrius and. Uh, who writes Phantom Stranger now and some other people and they all enthusiastically said yes you know yeah I'd love to tell that sounds like a fun idea and I'm I I was sort of off to the races at that point and you know it just sort of snowballed from there it started with one or two stories and then it grew and grew and grew until it became an actual you know book a real live book I know in the past you mentioned that you because uh, I listened to you on views when you were talking about East Kilroy with, with Mike Bailey and you mentioned that you had gone to the Kubert School uh, years ago. Is that where you made a lot of comic connection with, comic, with a lot of the comic book creators that you have in here, or had that come later? Because I noticed that you did, you know, you and you have a good mix of professionals and just your average everyday fan too. Uh, yeah, no, uh, almost all the connections I have are through the Aquaman Shrine. That is really where it happened. Um, I knew a couple of people from Qbert. Uh but it was really the shrine where that I got to know all these people and uh, uh you know that and and you know got to make those kinds of connections. So it's really all from everything springs from from the shrine is that I got to interview Paul Kupperberg for the first time because of the shrine. I interviewed JM Demetrius for the first time for the sh- because of the shrine. So it all it, it all sprang from that original blog. So you you had the blog and you started uh, putting the book together and and uh, you said you were putting you were putting out calls. What um, as you were getting either from the blog or what eventually ended up in the book? You said that you were surprised by how you know, touching some of these stories were, how deep some of these stories ran. And I and I've noticed that you know in in reading the book over the course of the last week or so that uh, there seem to be common elements too. There is the the dad buying the comics for the kid or the uncle or the older brother or the older cousin you know a lot of there's a lot of family stories in here that, that I've noticed is there anything that stuck out uh, with you or surprised you the most about 
I don't know, common threads in these stories or any particular uh, story that jumps out at you that's in here? Well, I mean, in terms of... The common thread through all of them is how powerfully comic books hit these particular people. I mean, you know, every... uh, There are other books like this out there, um, but just on different subjects. You know, there's a Mm -hmm. book like this on on fathers and daughters and sports, and there's a book like this about uh, theater and a book about this about cats and, and about movies, but there really wasn't a book like this about comics. And so the common thread really is that for these people, these you know 30-some-odd people, uh, comic books really grabbed them at a young age and just never, never let go. So that's really the common thread. But what I like about it is that in a lot of ways, everybody's circumstances are very different. And some people's experiences are, you know, said not entirely pleasant. I mean, one of the stories I, one of the stories I got is from um, a, a TV writer named uh, Tim Neenan, who writes for Children's Hospital and, and some other adult swim shows. And he talks about how comic books were a bond between him and his brother who uh, went off to fight in Afghanistan. And it's a very powerful story. Yeah, it's a very powerful story and very uh, profound. And and yet, you know, it's got that. It's very sad in 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 a great many ways. But it's got that sweetness to it because he talks about him and his brother enjoying DC and Marvel comics. You know, and it's like people can relate to that. And they may not be able to relate to the other stuff, but they can relate to that that similar thing of like, oh, my brother and I were into this thing together. So, um, and at the same time, there are other stories that are really funny. You know, I mean, my friend. Uh, Doug Slack, who did a comic in the '90s for Slave Labor Graphics, it's called Slacker Comics, who did a tells a great story about uh, trying to convince his mother to lend him five dollars to buy a new Teen Titans comic because he was so sure it was going to be worth money someday. And you know, it's like the the he's just the arguments he presents to his mother are ridiculous, and even brings up the Overstreet Price Guide. And I mean, you know, it it's just like you totally can hear the voice of this insane fanboy trying to convince you know your 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 mother to get you to, to buy this thing where she just completely doesn't understand what the hell you're talking about and that's a really funny story so oh, it's really? you know i really liked the mix of all those different things you know and then even in the approaches i mean uh you know I, like i said my friend doug's story is more like a real-time back and forth little playlet which is between him and his mother and then you've got a story like paul kupperberg's who wrote about the 80-page Giants, DC's 80-page Giant format. And that story is almost like a history of that format interweaved with his personal memories of buying them when he was a kid. So they really do come at things from... A lot of the stories come from different angles, and that's one of the things that I, I really liked about it, is that even though they all have that common theme, there's a lot of diversity from backgrounds and from ages and from approaches. I'm reading through it. I'm seeing quite a mix of older and younger, people older and the same age and younger than me. Um, I'm 36. Uh, So I'm from that, I'm from that generation that grew up in the 80s when comic shops first started to become kind of the, the main direct way of buying comics. Uh, to the point, like when I was, I started collecting comics around 1990 for real. When comic shops were starting to become, become ubiquitous because of the mm-hmm. the boom, and right. uh, but I do have, but I'm, I'm you know I'm reading Paul Kupferberg and James and Mateus and and some other people talking about going to their you know 
the stationery store, the the supermarket, the the, the newsstand, you know, where there was a spinner rack. Um, and I still had that, you're right, I had the kind of common, when they talk about going to uh, going there and how hard it was to kind of collect something on a regular basis because you didn't know what was going to be there. Um, that was, uh, I remember that as a little kid because I remember I was buying, I would buy like Star Wars or Superman mm-hmm. and had a kind of a very small collection as a little kid, you know, beat up because I kept reading them over and over, probably throwing them in pen when I was like six years old or whatever. And, uh, but you know, I'd have like huge gaps in what issues I had because I bought what was available. Uh, and then you had like stuff like those three pack of polybag comics you buy at like oh yeah Kmart or something and you were always trying to figure out which one was between yep, the yep, Secret yep. Wars and Transformers issue you were trying to get one that was like really good and <laughs> so I, I even though some of the guys in this are, or, or, or ladies in this are older than I am it is kind of funny to see how much of a common thread there is did you were you surprised at the the types of comics did it seem that everybody was kind of buying the same thing i mean to me it seemed that there were so many guys who were dc junkies especially the older the older guys you know the you know couple of like see these other guys were it seemed like they were dc junkies up to a point and then like marvel hit and a lot there were there seemed to be a few stories of them almost like converting to marvel as if it were like a religion or something uh, around maybe the 60s or 70s did were, were there common threads in terms of the actual comics plot? I mean, what what did you what did you see as you were have, as you've collected these over the years? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Marvel really took the 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 scene by storm in the '60s. I mean, they just were this giant thing that just came up out of nowhere and took over. So it didn't surprise me that you know, yeah, you saw over time that you know, like J.M. Demetrius talks about walking in on the New York streets while he was sick to go get a copy of the Fantastic Four. You yeah. know what I mean? So, I like that yeah, story. I mean, yeah, um, you know, so, so no, that didn't, I mean, uh, you know, that those were, I mean, you're talking about an era where, you know, uh, comic books sold, you know, comic books by the 60s were definitely sl- slowed down in terms of their sales compared to the 40s, mm-hmm. but, this, but the sales then of the 60s would now be considered monster hits. I mean, you know, back yeah. in the '60s, a comic book that sold 500,000 copies was considered kind of worth canceling. And nowadays, there isn't a single comic book that sells 500,000 copies. What was the last so, comic to sell a million copies? I, I one. I think one of the Image ones, or like, uh, you know, I don't, something involving Jim Lee or something. I'm sure. <laughs> um, but but you know, I mean, it's it's yeah. The, there isn't a whole. I mean, like, there's one story by uh, author Mike Howlett that's about where creature where creatures roam, which was a Marvel reprint book of the '70s. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, they do tend to focus on on superheroes, just because that was, you know, for the most part, superheroes in the seventh, late '60s and '70s were taking over and pushing all the other genres out. Yeah, because the '60s. I'm I, when I get bored and I surf through like Mike's Amazing World. Uh, yeah, and go through the covers because I'm sure you do that. You'll just start clicking from cover to cover and month to month. And it, yeah, you, you're right. You can see that progression where you still had some of the romance and the war and the horror comics kind of hanging on, maybe into the 70s and in some cases even. Yeah. The 80s. Oh, D- I mean DC DC published romance comics into the mid 70s yeah. and they just practically basically 
canceled every one of them like, within a year of each other, and it was like they never, ever did them. You never mm-hmm. heard from them again. It was very, very strange. Yeah, it was like had... they had their own separate line of, t- of romance titles. Yeah, in fact, I think it's one of the only aspects of the DC publishing history that doesn't get some sort of mention in Crisis. Because it seems like there's mentions of everything in Crisis, yet I couldn't find any reference to a romance yeah. comic. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah. they never it's like they never made. I mean, on top of it is they very rarely um, advertised them in any other books or vice versa. Like uh-huh. they would run they would run in the in the romance comics they would run ads for Wonder Woman or Supergirl, but mm-hmm. that was it. And you and, and never vice versa. You never saw an ad for you know like Young Love in Justice League. They were they com- kept those things completely separate. I would love if if I end up doing a second volume. Mm-hmm. I would love to get some stories about more of the you know romance comics and the more diversified genres. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. I uh, I'm flipping through the book right now, and one of the people I noticed in here is Jill Fantasi. Fantasi Fantasi, who is uh, who I follow. I've been following on Twitter for quite a while, and saw her on the uh, the Nat Geo special that was on a year ago, the Comic Store Heroes one. Uh, and I noticed she and um, you have a couple of other, other women in here. Was it very lopsided between men and women as far as, you know, the contributions you got? Um, did Was there a common theme among the, the women you did get uh, stories from when you were publish- soliciting and publishing and gathering stories together? Um, I didn't see a whole... I didn't see much of a theme between the, between the women. I mean, I wish there were more mm-hmm. women in the book. Um, you know, I, I, I mean... Most of almost everybody who wrote something for me was doing it for me as a favor, and you know, when I was pitching it to most of them, you know, I didn't have a publisher lined up, I didn't have anything really set in stone. It was really just a notion, and so a lot of these people were were writing something for me, sort of on spec of like, well, I'm going to take the time to write this thing and give it off to this guy, and maybe something will come of it, maybe not. And so, you know, I really had to kind of, um, you know. You know, luckily Jill and Erica D. Peterman from uh, Girls Gone Geek and mm-hmm. Roxana Meta, who's a cosplayer, you know, they were kind enough to write me those stories. But yeah, I do. The book does lean a little heavy on the white male contingent, but that's the way comics are for the most part. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and again, part of the problem of, of marketing the book to people in the beginning is it was just it, it, there really isn't a book like this before. I mean, there have been some things close to it, but there really wasn't a book like this. And so, you know, I, w- I would get to try and explain it to people, both publishers and potential essayists, and a lot of them just had a real trouble understanding what the book was going to be, or just what it would seem like, what it would read like. And I'm I'm hoping, like again, if I do a second volume, uh, I won't have as much that problem as much because there will be the first book to point to. You know, I can go to some maybe more diverse crowd and say, you know, hey, the, the book is going to look like this, you know, and mm-hmm. but I'm just doing another one, that that kind of thing. So, um, but but at, at the same time, when I was putting the book together, even though a lot of the stories are from, you know, predominantly white males of a certain age talking about superheroes, I did try and interpolate them with other material, whether it be pictures or some other stories, to just give it some sort of narrative uh, it's it's not that it's telling a story from beginning to end, but just change it up here and there. You know, like yeah. not have all the same types of stories too many of too many of them in a row. That kind of thing. And, and it's funny that you're saying how 
it gets hard to explain the book because we're we're in a we went through this and in, in some regard we're still kind of in this glut of nostalgia where for um, you know the last decade or so they don't really run these shows as much as they used to but VH1 for instance was running all the I Love This and I Love That shows and it's the same concept isn't it It's rem- I remember when I first saw Star Wars or E.T. or you know name the movie and I actually have a book on my shelf that I'm staring at across the room here called Cassette from My Ex which is Oh yeah 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 I've yeah, heard of that which yeah. is basically and, and it's it's very much as now it's basically here's the mixtape here's the memories and, and that sort of thing and, and, and this I think follows very very well along kind of those lines and that's why I, and since I have such a personal connection to comic books in general that's why I've been enjoying it so much because you know I see um, like I said I see kind of the the, the, the common element, the common stories and things that I can really relate to, even though, uh, say, Steve Skeets or somebody is much older than I am, uh, you know, or, or some of these other people are, you know, just not of my generation, but I, but I see some of the things where, you know, like, you get dad to drive you here or, or whatever. And it's funny because some of these guys are obviously from the uh, New York tri-state area. And sometimes mm-hmm. they'll make references to little things in there. And me, I'm from Long Island originally, so then I'm like, ooh, you know, somebody makes a reference to WPIX in there, right? Abbott and, Abbott and Costello movies on the Sunday morning movie, and right, 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 right. That was in Ed Cato's yeah. story, the week, the weekly pilgrimage, yeah. Yes, and and he also mentions, um, is, he's the one with the, the story about macaroni. And, and his yeah, I believe yeah, and the way his mother would call it the grandmother, and the gra- and they she would in quote unquote invite them over, even though they went every time. And it's it was little things like that that I was was just drawing me in even more. The loud Italian family mm-hmm. from up in Long Island, and I know loud Italian is redundant, but but um, <laughs> it it I, that's that's what I saw about the appeal of the book, and and when. And I've been reading your blog for quite a while. I was I was surprised by the number of people who were younger than me who started picking up comics because they had been watching shows like the Batman animated series and right. things like that which were I was well into collecting by then and a lot of these guys were really well professionals were well into collecting on their own what do you think has been the benefit or, or even the drawbacks of having so much multimedia around comics in the last 20 years or so you know, going beyond when we were younger or when I was younger when we just had the super friends and Spider-Man is amazing friends. More well, or less it. Well, I mean, it certainly brought in a more diverse audience uh, to, to Comic-Cons, which is great. You know, when I was a kid and I went to Comic-Cons, they were entirely guys. Mm-hmm. You know, just guys. And now, and and again, primarily, again, I don't want to like keep hitting on this, but primarily like white, white boy, white men. And now you go to Comic Cons and they are rivers of diversity, which I think is great because you have all these different. And a lot of that comes from the fact that so many of these characters now are, you know, outside. Because, the, the, you know, you go to a Comic Con mm-hmm. and, you know, you like go, go to the New York Comic Con and see how packed it is. And yet, you know, those, a lot of those people are not buying the comics. You know, they're, they're enjoying these characters in some other form because comic books are still only selling in the tens of thousands. I mean, DC considers Aquaman one of its biggest hits, and Aquaman sells around 70,000 copies a month. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a tiny, tiny sliver of people. 
So, you know, it, it, the fact that this stuff is so easily available in the greater media and television and mo- certainly movies, uh, you know, it's bringing in a different crowd, which is nice. I wish that crowd bought more comics. Uh, but, um, and, and that was something else that I wanted to, you know, hint at a little in the book is that, you know, the average person now knows who Iron Man is, mm-hmm. you know? The average person is familiar with Iron Man. It could maybe even tell you, oh, that's Tony Stark. And when I was a kid, you know, Iron Man, you had to know, you only knew Iron Man if you were a comic book, or a comic book geek. Yeah. He was he was not part of the greater culture. But now almost anybody can and and, and can pick him out. You know, it's, oh, I know, you know, the Avengers. I mean, the Avengers was, you know, like, what, I think it's the second highest grossing movie of all time. And, you know, you for the longest time that was just a comic book thing nobody ever heard of it outside of that and so I wanted to kind of get at that a little about how you know yeah the greater culture has finally caught up with these characters but these people these you know again 30 some odd people they were hip to it you know years ago they were part of this subculture that is now burst onto the mainstream and I again I didn't want to I didn't want to burden the book with too many you know weighty themes it really wasn't meant for that but I liked kind of getting at that a little bit just within the the, the stories because all of them you know even the newest one takes place in the 90s i think i think that's mm-hmm. the most recent sort of story do you just uh i'll, I'll get back to the, the book itself but I just as you were talking about that i'm talking about some of the, some of the people who are these kind of the first guard of, of comic fans of comic collectors uh, do you i still get a sense of awe when i go to Say we were both at Baltimore Comic Con recently, and I met George Perez and mm-hmm. two other people. And um, the average person doesn't necessarily know who George Perez, Walt Simonson, or Michael Gordon, no. who I right. also met there, are. Yet I was excited to meet oh, yeah. Perez. I had a short conversation with Michael Gordon and try to get him on one of my shows, and I was I was very very excited about that and. and do you, you know, um, do you still get that sense of awe that you're meeting these people whose names you have known for lost count of how many years? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I got to, uh, I walked around with Paul Kupperberg and mm-hmm. he knows everybody. And he introduced me to Michael Golden. And I'd never mm-hmm. met Michael Golden before. And I just was like, Michael Gold, I couldn't believe it. You know, I mean, I worship that guy. He's one of the greatest comic book artists there ever have been. And I just could, and you know, he was so nice and friendly. I think it's great. I, I will never get over that. I mean, I am. I I grew up reading Paul Kupferberg comic books, and his his run on Aquaman was one of the was probably the first Aquaman, maybe not the first, but pretty close to it. The first Aquaman comics I ever read, and the fact that a guy whose Aquaman comics I read when I was seven, I now get to be friends with. And he has a book in my. He has a story in my book. That's I, I am just I'm thrilled. You know, I'm beyond thrilled. I just can't believe it that that somebody that I worship for that long is involved in something I created. And I'm enormously proud of it. And I'm proud of the friendship. And and just you know, it's like it's kind of hard almost to be friends with somebody like that because I'm in such awe of them. It's the same mm-hmm. way with J.M. DeMatteis or Alan Brennert. I have Alan Brennert has a story in my book, and Alan Brennert has only written about 10 comic books in his career about 8 of which are some of the best comics ever written and I just worship that guy I absolutely do and the fact that like I got to talk to him today about the book and stuff, I, I just you know I got to meet him I'm just 
you know, I, I really am in awe of it. I'm like, wow, these are these are guys that when I was ten just seemed like gods to me, and here they are sitting there. You know, <laughs> I can just go up to them and shake their hand, and it's it's truly amazing. So, um, when I met you there, uh, you were talking about we were talking a little bit about before we started the episode that uh, the book's been a long time coming. And not oh, just yeah. because it was a blog for many years, but you, you got the idea and you started collecting even more stories, some of which it sounds like you just kind of kept to yourself so you put them in this collection so that you would have sort of quote-unquote exclusive content. How, how did this finally get from concept to what I'm holding in my hand? So I'll, try not to, yeah, I'll try not to bore everybody too much. Basically, mm-hmm. I mean, when I started it, I had no... Uh, awareness of how it worked to get a book published. I had none. I just figured, let me just do it. You know, I just started it. And then once I had enough of material that it was really a book, you know, I knew how many stories I had and I had, you know, some 200 some odd pages. I'm like, okay, this is an actual book now. I started first shopping it around the publishers and no publisher wanted it. Again, I think partly because, you know, it was a weird idea. I don't think anybody had really been able to understand what it was or saw the marketing potential in it and I certainly my name didn't have any heft behind it I mean who the hell was I uh, and you know to be honest most of the people that I have in the book aren't names that you know anybody outside of comics will know and they're mostly older guys like James Demetheus and Steve Skeets who another guy I grew up reading uh, you know so so there wasn't it wasn't like I you know was walking around with you know, oh, I got Stan Lee, and I got you know whatever names that you've heard of. Um, so that so the marketing part of it was was tough, and then it happened to coincide with the book publishing industry just utterly collapsing. Yeah, uh, I mean, just utterly collapsed. I mean, bookstores died. I mean, I worked for many years as part time at, at a Borders Books, and I got to personally watch the the book industry wither away and die. So I mean, it was unfortunate timing that just as I'm trying to sell this sort of uncommercial book book publishing just went belly up for the most part and and became just relegated to can we get a name in here you know we can we can get a oh paris hilton's gonna write a book that's great let's do that you know as opposed to trying to find something interesting or offbeat so that that was you know an uphill climb and then i tried to find i tried to go the other route and i tried to find a book agent to represent it and i actually did land a book agent at one point and then he he sort of sort of I guess lost interest in it or whatever, and that dropped it. So I, I kind of had to keep starting over from square one with people, and you know, I, I got very frustrated at times because it did feel like this really isn't going to go anywhere. But I, I never totally gave up on it because the material was submitted by other people. If it had just been my book, if, it, if I had written all of it, I probably would have bailed on it and just said, you know what, I just this is just too tough. I can't get this going. Forget it. But these people were all nice enough to write me stories that came from their heart. I thought, I can't just drop it. I can't just say to these people, you know what? Uh, I, I, you know, Thanks for writing that story, but it's never going to go anywhere. I couldn't do that to them. So I just thought, well, I'll just keep trying. And uh, essentially, I was ready to just go it alone. Uh, back in 2011, mm-hmm. I was ready to self-publish it. You know, I just said, that's it. I'm just going to do it. And then I had a major publisher take interest in it. And I said, well, let me hold off self-publishing and see if this if this big, big name publisher wants it. They took over a year to say no. They kept stringing me along and stringing me along and stringing me along. And I, and, 
you know, and all and all and all that led to them eventually saying no. And that that moment when I just said, "All right, screw all these guys, forget it. It's not worth it. I'm going to do it myself." And essentially, that's what I did. I mean, it's 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 from Crazy Eight Press, mm-hmm. which is an imprint with you know from Peter David and Michael Jane Friedman and Copperberg and some other guys. But that's basically just an imprint. It's not a publishing house or anything like that. So, uh, you know, I just eventually just did it on my own and, and got it got it out there. But it was it, it definitely was a very slow, painful process, and you know. Uh, in the end, it was worth it because it, you know I think timing I guess worked out correctly and things like that. But uh, yeah, it was it was definitely when I started it. Had I known it was going to take four years when I started it, I'm not sure I would have ever started it. So, the, so you you hooked up with Crazy Press, I'm assuming, through Paul Copperberg or some of the other people you knew from the. Uh, uh, I did it through Bob Greenberger, who's okay. a former editor at DC Comics and uh, has written things as well, and he yeah. that's. It's he's one of the officers of the company, and he, mm-hmm. I have a story from him in the book. And he, I mentioned to him that I was just going to go it alone, and and he said, "Well, what you know, what do you think about putting it out under Crazy Eight's banner?" And I thought, "Oh, well, okay, why not? You know, that it doesn't hurt anything." So, because essentially, I said Crazy Eight, it really is a bunch of self-published guys under the same imprint. So I thought, "Well, why not? That gives it a little added promotion and." gets the guy roped in a little bit. So that's what I did. Who would you say, um, is there anybody who you were just surprised you were able to get to contribute to the to the book? Well, definitely Alan Brennard, because Alan mm-hmm. Brennard is a novelist, you know, uh, a, a big-time novelist and a uh, TV writer and, you know, an Emmy award-winning TV writer. And, and, again, he was somebody, he's only written about ten comics in his life. I think he's, out of those ten comics, he's written, I think, like five Batman stories and two of them are in the greatest Batman stories ever told book. You know, I mean, so his batting average is, is unbelievable. And the fact that he was nice enough to spend some of his time in between his novels writing a story for me was, was really unbelievable. He was he was somebody that I, I felt a little weird about even asking because I didn't know him that well. I mean, I had known Kupperberg and I had known Jim, James Demetastes and we had a good relationship. But Alan, I was a little more flying blind, but he, you know, he liked the idea and and wrote this wonderful piece about discovering comics, uh, well, not discovering comics, but discovering a love of Hawaii uh, via Dennis the Menace, mm-hmm. and, you know, how that shaped his life, and how he, you know, regards Hawaii as, like, his home away from home, and uh, so that that one was really impressive to me, that, that I got something from him in there, but, um, you know, again, like, so the, the, the story I mentioned earlier from, from Tim Neen in the field, he volunteered that story, I didn't know Tim before the, before the book, um, he's friends with Doug Slack, and, and he had heard about the book via Doug, and said, "Hey, Rob, I have a story. Maybe you'd be interested in it." And uh, I was like, "Sure, you know, yeah, I'd love to read it." So he sent it to me, and uh, you know, it was amazingly powerful. And so, you know, I, I was Im- impressed that you know, again, somebody would share that kind of personal information with me like that. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, almost every one of the stories in there, I, I absolutely love. When I got it, I just was like. Boy, this is great, and you know, I was thrilled with all of them. And in fact, there's even a couple stories that did make it into the book that I had to cut out because I just ran out of space. I knew how many pages really I could get away with. So there's some other stories that I have sort of laying in wait that if I do a second volume, uh, I will be in there because you know they were really good, and I want to I, I I wanted to show them off to the world. I'm I, I, I was cracking up at like John Sikor's story. About oh yeah, the film yeah. Charles Schultz. 
Yes, about about how he believed that he could pitch himself as the next writer artist of Peanuts. <laughs> I love it. It's such kid logic. You know, it's classic. Like, oh, why not? I'll just write to Charles Schulz and tell him, hey, I want to take over Peanuts when you're read when you're ready to give it up. I just love it. I love the yeah. the hubris of a of a small child like that. And the fact that Schultz called him, I think that it's just it's one of those like yes, too good to be true stories. And, and yeah, when I got it. that one, I was like, "You have got to be kidding me!" You know, <laughs> and then like conversely, there I got another one from Steve Englehart, another mm-hmm. guy that I grew up reading, and he talks about growing up on comics that he read as were sort of censored because they were comics reprint, they were Dick Tracy comics yes. reprinted from the newspaper strips, and the newspaper strips ran. The, the violence a lot more uh, brutal than the comics and the comics when they were censored made virtually no sense so like there's a st- and that's how that led him to be a writer that's mm. like a whole corner of the comic world I never even knew about I didn't know that they ever did that that they ran sort of censored versions of newspaper comics so I just love that he covered a corner that, that I was completely unfamiliar with yeah that was that was a little new to me too because he he was collecting writers the code was taking things over Right and um, that, that yeah you're right that's an interesting perspective because that's not something that I would have thought to ask somebody about yeah, you know, yeah. Or, that you noticed that because he was talking about how, like entire panels were removed yep so yep, there's yep. just this discontinuity between what the heck is actually going on in the story yep or they would edit part of a panel mm-hmm. so you've got the characters looking at nothing you know like looking at a blank I mean you got to wonder who was making these edits and thinking what the hell were they putting in these books I mean they don't make any sense at all. But yeah, that was a whole angle that I'd never heard of, and I love the fact that Steve took, you know, went after it from that angle. And again, that's a guy I grew up reading. He wrote Justice League, and I grew up mm-hmm. reading his Justice League. I'm like, wow, I have a story from Steve Englehart, and like that, you know, like I still, I still had that sort of kid enthusiasm. I'm like, wow, I have a story from Steve Englehart that nobody's read. So, comics industry is in an interesting place right now, because as we were talking about how. Um, We've got movies making hundreds of millions of dollars at the box office, and not just from Marvel, because uh, we had Man of Steel over the summer. We had the the Nolan Batman films. There's a Superman Batman movie in production, and eventually we'll yes. get around to the Justice League. And I guarantee you, if they put a quality Wonder Woman movie out, they'll there'll be people flocking. You know, there's a market for these things now that there wasn't necessarily. You know, a few years ago, at least in the early '90s, when, when Batman and Robin kind of killed the genre for a while. <laughs> uh, but the, the comics industry in itself is an inter- interesting place. Where do you see it going? Where do you see, um, you know, as as we're thinking of another generation of comic fans who are coming up and are, are cultivating their own origin stories? Uh, where might you see that happening, and, and where do you see DC or Marvel or independent books, of which I'm buying a lot more than fulfilling that role that, that they've always had in our lives? Well, geez, you know, I don't think I'm smart enough to be able to guess that. I mean, it, it certainly seems that at some point the notion of the floppy, you know, the notion mm-hmm. of the monthly magazine is just going to have to go away because the, the the market just can't support it anymore. I mean, you know, the you. Yeah, the a regular Superman title is three ninety nine now, yeah. and that just there's going to be a price point where people are just going to stop buying them entirely. I mean, three ninety nine to me is an absurd price for a comic book. You know, it, I mean, it's it's meant to be on some level sort of you know transitory entertainment. I mean, you can read them other than 
happened, you know, like something by, you know, back in the old days, Alan Moore or something. You read comic books very fast, and for four bucks, you really need to get more entertainment. Uh, you know, I mean, think about, you can go to iTunes and buy, you know, like an episode of Game of Thrones for three ninety nine, mm-hmm. and you get this, you know, you know, you know, movie movie quality TV show, or you can buy a Batman comic book that is going to take you what a minute and a half to read, two minutes. And then you got to go for buy four, for, for, <laughs> for four bucks. I mean, yeah. it's just that 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 financial model just can't sustain itself. So it wouldn't shock me if eventually there's more of a divide between like trades. Where you know things are just put out in book form, like giant graphic novels, and then everything else is done digitally, you know, like and there's just no more floppies anymore, and it's just you either buy these long form collections that are you know 150, 200 pages for for 19.99, and they come out once every six months, or you get you get them in these little digital installments every week or something. I can see the comic industry cleaving in two in those both those sort of opposite directions, but I just can't. I mean, if you go to most comic stores now, my my local comic store doesn't make its money off of comics. It makes its money off of gaming and all the ancillary stuff, but it doesn't make its money from comics. And eventually, you just can't keep running businesses that don't make money from the product that you're selling. But I find that interesting that that I've, I've seen more and more writing. We've all seen writing for the trade. We've all that's become an expression that yeah become part of the comic book lexicon for the last yep. decade or so. Yet. Bookstores themselves are an endangered species as well. Because right. Borders is completely gone. Barnes yep. and Noble is hanging on for your life at this point. They They'll be gone on soon enough. But yeah, it's a very, very interesting point of how the future of, of things are going to go. Especially when you know, so many old, old get-off-my-lawn types like me are complaining about the quality of the storylines that we're seeing and what have you. And then there's probably some 16-year-old kid reading comics like I was 20 years ago, going, Forever Evil 4D covers, this is the coolest thing ever, I'm going to buy every single one, you know? Yeah. Cause, but, you know, I mean, it's funny, though, You people still want physical objects. I mean, back, there was a point where I was considering just putting Hey Kids Comics out as an e-book, mm-hmm. just an e-book, and I sort of, like, road-tested that idea to a bunch of my friends on Facebook, and almost all of them said, well, I want it as an ebook, but I want a print version too. You know, yeah. people want to have. You know, it's just it's just never going to be as convenient to carry around your iPad or whatever. Or maybe not never, but for right now, it's still just not as convenient to be able to have your book and you know whatever with it. So you know, it's it's and I will admit I am. It, it had more heft to me having these books arrive and me open it and there's the book in my hand as opposed to it just being a bunch of ones and zeros on a tablet. So you talked about doing, hopefully doing a second edition or, or you know, of course this just came out so I, I could assume that a, that a second um, a second Hate Kids comic, Hate Kids Comics Volume 2 might be in the back of your mind at least. Um, was there anybody who you would, like, do you have like a wish list Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I, I have a whole list of people that I think would probably, A, are, you know, kind of famous and, and have made names for themselves in, in a different um, field mm-hmm. that I know are comics fans. I actually kind of don't want to give the list out because, you know, <laughs> who knows? Right? I mean, it's a lot of people that you've heard of. I mean, they're, yeah, I mean every, like everyone knows Stephen Colbert is a big comic book fan. Yeah. You know, that's not. So, I mean, there are people like that, to be honest, and, and you know, 
this is I know this will never happen because you know once I say the name you'll know why it will never happen mm-hmm. but the ultimate the ultimate hey kids comics get would be President Barack Obama I mean he's a comic book fan he grew up on Spider-Man and Conan mm-hmm. he, he's a he's a nerd he's a comic book nerd and yeah. you know that's the ultimate make good of a fan <laughs> you know but you, uh, of course you know you never uh, that, know I, you know, I I'll I'll certainly send him the first book, but I think I'll wait till he's out of office because he's a little <laughs> busy right now. Yeah, I was going to say, from what I understand, it's it's a tough job. Yeah. <laughs> well, I you know I just am not in the uh, the habit of uh, of sending to president packages. You know, <laughs> they just get. <laughs> I think they just probably they probably blow those up before anything ever happens. So it's not like you'd ever see it anyway. So I think you know I'll wait till he's I'll wait till he's an ex president and then I can send. Secret Service will have fun with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't need the NSA showing up on my door. So, but I mean, he, he, you know, I mean, as ridiculous as that name is, there were people, there were people that were, you know, pretty famous that I approached, and were, you know, through their agents or, and they, you know, they all mostly said no because, again, they don't know who I am and they, mm-hmm. they didn't know what this thing was, and and you know, I would love to sort of have a second bite at that apple. And uh, go back to them and say, hey, you know, I contacted you X number of years ago about this book. And, you know, you said no. You were polite about it. But you said no. Well, here's the book. You know, I'm, 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 not, I'm not just some crazy kid that never mm. followed through. I actually did it. And here's my book. And, you know, it's on Amazon. And it's got all these reviews. And so I'm going to do another one. Maybe you're interested in that. So that's, you know, it, it's, doing the first one is, was a reward unto itself. But there was definitely a added value to it of saying, you know what, once I have a first one, it'll be a lot easier to do a second one. Yeah. Because it's just all that groundwork has been laid already. So it's it's you said it's in the back of my mind. Well, it's, it's further up than that. It's, okay. not the, it's, it's not in the front of my brain, but it's somewhere in the middle. Cool. Um, because, you know, I, I, I like this idea and people really seem to be responding to the book. Uh, and I like how it came out. I think it, I think it holds together well, and so I would love to do it again. It's just a matter of being able to get the first one to. I mean, I didn't do the first one to make money. I knew mm-hmm. it wasn't going to make money. I just didn't want to lose my shirt on it. Yeah. Um, so you know, I just want people to. If people love comics and love hearing stories about them, um, you know, I, I I hope they go out. I mean, you can get it on Amazon right now. Hey, you know, just type in Hey Comics. And, and, and get it and, uh, you know, enjoy the heck out of it. And, and hopefully I can sell enough of them that there's sort of enough of a, of a, of a built, head of steam built up that we can do a second Before one. Before I let you go, a couple of little last questions. Uh, for anybody who's, uh, I, I had written, do you have any advice for young comic fans? But there may be people listening to this who aren't comic fans and they're not technically young. Uh, for a new one, how do you navigate this sort of very weird morass of, of fandom that we're all in and trying to get involved without feeling um, well, lost uh, or alienated or something? Uh, I mean, it's a tough question. I mean, it, it really is. You have to a lot of put a lot of that stuff aside and really just find something you enjoy and not worry about it. You know, and just uh, enjoy it wholeheartedly and just. I mean, like my you know, I, I my favorite character is Aquaman, and of course, I'm buying the Aquaman book. And, you know, they just broke the story not that long ago that Jeff Johns is leaving Aquaman. Mm-hmm. And immediately, not even, he's not even gone yet. The body's not even cold. And I saw this rash of people online saying, oh, Johns is leaving Aquaman? I guess I'm going to stop buying it. And that just flummoxes me because it's like, well, wait a minute. 
if you're buy, if you're gonna not even give the book a chance with a new writer, that kind of means you're not really enjoying it, and you're only buying it because Jeff Johns' name is on it. Why the hell would you buy a comic book like that? Like, what does that get you? You know, I mean, buy something because you enjoy it. You know, it's a weird. I don't. I don't get that mentality. So, I mean, luckily there is a diversity of material, much more than there ever used to be. I mean, it comes and goes. But, I mean, you know, there is so much more stuff out there than there ever used to be. And and, and if you're someone that, that is one of tiptoes into the world of comics, you, you'll you be able to find something you enjoy. And if you enjoy it, you know, just, you know, go with your bad self and just enjoy it. You know, don't worry about anybody says about it or any of that kind of crap. Just, you know, just like, hey, this comic book about, you know, zombie pirates or whatever the hell, I just love it and, and that's it. And, you know, you can, every little comic book has its own little fandom built up around it and you can just enjoy it wholeheartedly and that's you know that's the that's the whole point just to enjoy yourself for pete's sakes as someone who blogs about the 1990s era teen titans books i really appreciate that sentiment because i'm one of the few (laughs) people who like this um what are you aside from aquaman obviously uh and maybe the Justice League stuff. What are you? What are you into lately? Um, you don't have to go down the whole pull list if you don't want to. But anything, anything you can recommend? Just uh, uh boy, hmm. Uh, that's a good question. You know, I'm trying to think of what it is that I pick up. I mean, I pick up the Phantom Stranger. I still enjoy. I love that character, and James Demetrius is doing a great job on that. Um, I, you know, I do love Aquaman, and I'm I'm looking forward to what Jeff Parker is going to do with it. Um, when he takes over from from Jeff Johns, mm. um, boy, I'm trying to think. I mean, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of really good web comics, and I'm not saying that just because I do one. There's a lot of great web comics out there that I will tend to support via Kickstarter, however they do it, to get their print editions. Because you know, I like I like holding the thing in my hand, um, and so the, and talk about a diversity of material. There is some. Um, you know, really, there's a there's a um, a web comic called Band versus Band, which is basically like a Josie and the Pussycats type thing, which I really enjoy. It's got great artwork. There's another one called Ellie on Planet X, which is like a children's book, a beautifully illustrated children's book. So, um, you know, but those are ones that uh, I will. They're not collected in any form yet. They're just web comics, but I'm, I can't wait for them to be collected because. Uh, I think those are really, really enjoyable. So I, I tend to find a lot of stuff that's independent and done by one person or just a small team of people as opposed to some company behind it. But, you know, there, there, I wish I had more time to sort of troll around, um, even looking through previews. You know, I mean, just looking through previews by itself is a task because yeah, the damn thing is damn thing's 400 pages. I still have um, the latest edition. I have it sitting in my dresser. I'll probably yeah, it yeah. So, you know... And I, I have been enjoying the Batman sixty six comic, the the, the the comic book version of the TV series by Ned Gannis, by Jeff Parker. So you know, um, yeah, I tend to you know I'm buying a little bit of the mainstream stuff, but I said with web, I'm really am enjoying all the different web comics out there because there is some really really great stuff. And if you go to like our website acekilroy.com, which is our web comic, there's a little sidebar and it's called Aces Reads, and it's all the web comics that we as Ace Kilroy recommend. And there's like about twenty or thirty really good ones out there um so what's next for the book itself i think you mentioned on facebook earlier today that you're going to be in new york for the nycc and you'll have copies uh to sign there once you 
tell listeners where, where you might be popping up lately and uh, also where they can get the book too, aside from Amazon. Or like that. Well, if all goes well, yeah, I will be doing a signing at the New York Comic Con with my friend Ed Cato, who's one of the guys behind Captain Action, bringing Captain mm-hmm. Action back at his booth, the Captain Action booth, because he's got a story in there, and I'll be doing that with Paul Kupperberg. We'll be signing the books together. Um, and I'm going to be doing a bunch of appearances in comic stores, mostly in like the New York, New Jersey area. Um, you know, you, if you go to the blog, Hey Kids Comics, which is comics with an X, dot blogspot.com, um, I'll announce what appearances I'm making, and I'll be there to promote the books, and uh, I'm hoping to get it in some comic stores and some bookstores. Um, right now, you know, basically the place to get it is, is Amazon. It's um, I would love to have it in a Barnes & Noble and chains like that, but for right now, that's just not happening. Um, but uh, but I hope to be doing some appearances, and I hope that maybe next year I can start doing some conventions with the book and have a table and have it out there. And because virtually at every Comic Con I do, it, it'll feature at least two or three of the people who are in the book, mm-hmm. so we can get together and do signings and stuff like that. And I, you know, I hope we, we can put that together because that ought to be a lot of fun. But basically, if you want to get the book, go to Amazon.com. I think they have it on sale even for like fifteen something. The cover price is seventeen ninety nine, but they have it on sale for fifteen and change. So um, you can get it there. And except there will be a Kindle version. Uh, at some point soon. I'm not exactly sure when it's coming up, but there will be a Kindle edition as well. I mean, yeah, this is totally the type of book because, I, like I said, I've been reading it, I've been enjoying it, and this is totally the type of book that um, someone like me would take with him to a show and get it signed by anybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have another book like that that came out like two years or two ago called Leaping Tall Buildings. Uh, mm-hmm. that I had a couple people sign last year. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that, this is definitely that type of book. Oh, I would love that. I, that. Yeah, that's I, really I, cool. my uh, my dream is to get one copy and get all the guy, get everybody to sign it and just have them each send it to the next person. You know, in the chain, like oh, get all thirty-eight again. Say, okay, okay, Paul, you sign it and you mail it to Steve. Steve, you sign it and send it. To, you know, I think that the risk of it getting lost is so huge that I don't want to do it because I'd hate to have it disappear on me. But I would love, oh man, I would be so thrilled if I could have one copy of the book signed by all 38 of the guys. You know, <laughs> that would be really amazing. It would have to go all the way to England and then over to Canada and then back to the United States and crisscross the United States. But yeah, that would be fun to do if you could go to various Comic Cons with the book yeah. and get different people to sign it. That would that be, is, that that would be really awesome. Cool. Yeah. So, um,. Hey Kids Comics is available on Amazon, uh, and Ace Kilroy is over at acekilroy.com. And right. uh, can you still buy? I, now I have a copy of I have a, one of the print editions here. Can you still buy the print edition through acekilroy.com? Yes, you go to the store. There was a, there's a link to our Etsy store, and okay. you can buy volume one or volume two. It's print editions. You can also buy them as PDFs, uh, and you can also buy a print edition of a book called The Interview, which is a sort of like interstitial. Uh, comic that takes place in between seasons one and two of Ace Killer. So you can buy all that stuff at, at the website. Okay, and aside from that, where else can we? Uh, where else can we find you? Well, I I met AquamanTrine.net. It used to be .com, but it's .net now. AquamanTrine.net, and we'll always be there. There's the Hey Kids Comics blog, which is HeyKidsComics.blogspot.com, and I have a myriad, you know. Sp- sprinkling of other things. I have a website called treasurycomics.com, which is all about the, the oversized comics. I have a blog about MASH, which is my favorite TV show, which is called aftermash.blogspot.com. So, you know, I, I I got a lot of different irons in the fire. Plus, 
I have my whole sort of side career as an illustrator and writer. I mean, I write articles for Back Issue and for Comic Book Creator, and I also do illustration. I've done, you know, I've been I've been a freelance illustrator for almost 15 years now. So uh, I, I got way too many things going on. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, this is this is a real treat, and uh, and I hope I hope something comes of this. I hope this gets you more people interested, people who are listening, interested in buying uh, buying Kids comics because this <laughs> is a really really fun book, and, and I really appreciate you coming on to the show. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate you having me on. And I'd like to thank Rob for coming on the show. Um, if you noticed some sound quality issues on my part over the course of the hour or so, uh, I apologize. I don't know if there was a problem with my mic or if it was Skype or or, or any of the software or what have you, but uh, at least Rob was coming in clear, and I do really recommend that you check out his book, Hey Kids Comics. Uh, i finished reading it and it is it is heartwarming it is fun it is it's just excellent excellent all around you can go on to amazon um i will provide a link to that in the show notes as well as uh links to the aquaman shrine and the fire and water podcast as well next time we have uh if all things go well, I'll actually be turning my attention to music and only having another guest on the show. And again, if that goes the way I want it to, it's going to be a girl. So uh, until then, thank you for coming out. Don't forget to go and buy your copy of Hey Kids Comics and take care. You have reached the end of another episode of Pop Culture Affidavit. All music, clips, or other material used in this podcast are the property of their respective copyright holders. And as this podcast is intended for entertainment and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Clips, pictures, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, a blog where each week I take a look at a random thing in the world of popular culture and give my opinion as well as personal experience and memories I have with it, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback and other comments about this podcast can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and come back next time for some more pop culture randomness. Mankind's truest friend Aquaman